studies. Good to see you all. Um, tonight we're going to be looking at um, biblical worldview of the body and body image and and how having a biblical worldview gives us a healthy uh, way of looking at our bodies. Uh, we talked a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago. I'm just going to do a quick recap of what we looked at. But before, before we do, let's go for the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for uh, being able to study the Bible together and look at what Scripture says about uh, our bodies and how we should look at them. And also the importance and necessity of a Christian worldview in all of life. Uh, just be with us tonight as we study, as we look at scripture, and Lord, those who may be watching uh, on Facebook and those who listen to this that we share it with, that you may illuminate your truths to us uh, concerning how we ought to look at our bodies and also the importance of having a biblical worldview. So Lord, bless our time together tonight. In Christ's name, amen. So um, I've been talking with Bob, you know, Bob came and spoke to us Sunday and he's actually doing uh, a worldview teaching also at uh, ABC. And he had asked me uh, earlier this week, he showed me what he was uh, teaching on, uh, a book. And so he's doing a Wednesday night class uh, at Anderson Bible Church uh, based on uh, a book called The Anonymous God, How the Church Confronts Civil Religion and American uh, society and so they're doing a he's going he's going to possibly do a class on uh, American civil religion at uh, ABC so that's what we've been uh, looking at together as uh, as brothers you know talking about the importance of a biblical uh, worldview so tonight we're going to look at again body image I want to read something that he shared with me, uh, an email called The Necessity of a Christian Worldview. And this is from a website called uh, Christ Over All. And it talks about the abolition of truth and morality in our culture. You know, to abolish something means to do away with it. And as we observe, you know, we talk about in church a lot, as, as we've observed in the culture uh, truth is no longer thought of as something that is good you know everything that has been called good is called evil and everything that is evil is called good our culture has sought to abolish truth uh, there used to be a time where people would say you know what's true for you may not be true for me or what's true for me may not be true for you but now we got to the point in our culture where there's just no truth at all our culture said that there is no truth that exists, period. And the sad thing about it is that uh, a recent survey uh, that I read said that only 30, 37% of professing pastors have a biblical worldview. 37% of professing pastors. That means pastors, you know, we have over 300,000, 350,000 churches in our nation. And only about 37 percent have a biblical worldview just imagine if 
only 37% of math teachers had a basic knowledge of math. <laughs> you they would need to be fired, right? Or only 37% of firefighters knew how to really fight fires, although they went through all the training and everything. But imagine if only 37% of firefighters really knew how to fight fires. Or 37% of police officers know how to do their job. There would be an outcry because those are our public servants. But in the church, we've gotten quiet about it. We don't say anything about the importance of a worldview. What we must understand is that having a biblical worldview foundation is very important to us as believers. <coughs> and the, the, I think one of the problems is many Christians reduce a worldview to, you know, apologetics, you know, dealing with different isms. And that's only for college educated people going to seminary and all those uh, different things. But as we've talked about, the biblical worldview simply integrates the doctrines of the faith into having a total view of reality. That's what our worldview does. In the article here it says, uh, worldview thinking calls believers to live and think biblically throughout all of life. The framework of the Christian worldview is the storyline of scripture, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation or consummation as some say. The heart of the Christian worldview is the supremacy of Christ displayed in his universal lordship. When rightly understood, worldview formation is vital and inescapable for Christian ministry. So he asked the question here, the author of this article, uh, Levi's Accord, how then did so many in the church lose the biblical worldview? Uh, Francis Schaeffer, the great theologian and Christian thinker, uh, of the mid part, mid to late part of the 20th century. He pointed out our inability to think in totals. He says Christians are concerned about isolated issues, but we fail to capture the heart of the problems. It says Schaefer lists common concerns, and this is from the 80s. Pornography, abortion, the breakdown of the family. He was concerned about that 30, 40 years ago. He says, these are the bits and pieces that consumed his time and ours. He says, sadly, such issues remain critical today. Only, <laughs> there are a lot more things we can add to the list than those four things that Schaefer and other Christians dealt with in the 80s. Gender theory, LGBTQ, critical race theory, and a resurgence of Marxism. He says, these issues are merely symptoms of a deeper conflict between worldviews but why are we stuck thinking in bits and pieces before I read the answer to that question we've been taught and I would learned this early on in my Christian life until I knew better the one of the big problems is the sacred secular divide that Christians fell into and what that means is and we can be guilty of it without even knowing it we compartmentalize our life as believers into the sacred part, meaning like church and, you know, doing all the praying and Bible reading and all those things. We say, you know, that's the that's the sacred space. And then the secular space is, you know, work, 
you know, being a parent, marriage, all those things. And we were led to believe that those two things have one thing has nothing to do with the other. You have your secular life over here and you have your spiritual life over here. And that's what a lot of Christians have been taught throughout the years. That there's a sacred secular divide that you can depart. Okay, this is just, I do this over here. This is my secular life. You know, we say that. You know, my job is, a, is in a secular realm. You know, being a husband, wife, parent is in a secular realm. How I interact with others in the public square, out in public, that's, that's the secular realm. You know, the, the spiritual stuff is, you know, Sundays and... You know, like when I was growing up, you didn't curse on Sundays. You know, so, you know, you, you got in trouble if you did that. You do it any other day. But you can't curse on Sundays. Why? Because it's God's day. Every other day you can live like a heathen. That's a sacred, secular mindset that people have. And so what does that do? That splits life into bits and pieces. Because even in the secular part, you compartmentalize different parts of your so-called secular life. And then you do the same things in your, quote, spiritual life. Schaefer said that there are two culprits to where we are. This does tie into what we're going to talk about tonight. First is humanism and pietism. We talked about humanism before. Humanism is placing man at the center. We talked about that when we looked through our worldview uh, videos on secular Humanism. The secular, the humanistic worldview places man at the center of all things. And it makes man the measure of all things. Like we talk about with body image. Who are you measuring yourself against? What standard are you using? So with humanism, man is the center. And if man is the center, when man has a problem, then who solves the problem? Man. Man has the problems and man provides the solution. And man has to always be a standard and foundation, foundation for every system. That's humanism. Man is the foundation. Man is the standard. Man is the solution. But Schaefer says that there's always a standard and a foundation for every system and it should be God. He said, without God, humanity often fills the void with itself. Remove God from the equation, especially from politics, and it comes under the name of secularism. And therefore, religion has no claim on the public sphere. And that means that man is only left to himself. And if you think about it, that's where we are in our nation right now. Religion is left out of the public square. Just keep it private, keep it to yourself. Don't impose your beliefs on other people. That's what the culture tells us to do. Shut up, Christian. Keep your bigotry to yourself. But when you do that, when religion has no claim, then what do we have? We have chaos. And in that type of worldview, there's no basis for right or wrong. In that humanistic worldview. Why? Because man is the object. Man determines what is right and wrong? Man determines what is true and what is false. Man determines what is reality and what is fantasy. When man is at the center. And that's where humanism has gotten us. And then Schaefer said the second culprit 
is piety. He said that's the second culprit. Pietism uh, splits life into bits and pieces. And what pietism does it leads us to keep Christianity to the private realm. You know, we want to live. We want to be quiet. We don't want to stir up any trouble. You know, we don't want to offend anyone. You know, we just want to be pious people. Just kind of keep it to ourselves. You know, not expressing our beliefs. You know, not speaking out against the evils that we see happening in our culture. That's what piety looks like. He says that when we do this, he says, pietism labels physical as inferior and spiritual as superior. Again, sacred, secular. Everything in the physical scene life is bad. Everything in the spiritual life is good. It's, again, having that bits and pieces that, that divide. He says it limits Christianity to the private realm of personal experience. I talked to someone last week that said that, you know, talking about them about coming to church and stuff. And this person said, you know, I've, I've been to church before and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I just have a relationship with God by myself. I don't have to go to, go to church, you know, to have a relationship with God. I don't have to be, you know, around all these. But I can, I can do it in the privacy of my own home. That's pietism. And so Schaefer says that, he says, when I say Christianity is true, I mean that it is true to total reality. He calls it true truth. So we have to throw off the pietism. And we have to throw off humanistic thinking. And think true truth. One of his uh, disciples, Nancy Piercy, we saw her in some of the videos. I have all of her books. Uh, one of her books is called Total Truth. And she confronts the different worldviews, in particular uh, Marxism and atheism in her book. So why is having a biblical worldview important? Because it has a lot at stake. When we're talking about body image tonight, look at what's going on in our culture. We don't really think about this. and We shouldn't have to think about all these things a lot. It's a shame that we even have to. You have doctors who went to medical school. You have to be very smart to go to medical school. You have to take the MCAT, the medical college admissions test. You have to score high enough to go to medical school. You have doctors who go to medical school who have to take anatomy and physiology and all these uh, sciences dealing with the body all the way down to the cells in your your bone marrow, all those things. How the human body is shaped, how the human body acts and reacts to different things. Doctors have to know more than, it'll probably just blow my mind with all that they have to learn in medical school. Go to medical school, four years, do another four years of residency, and they get their own medical practice. And you have doctors who claim to not know the difference between a man and a woman. That's what's at stake. You have simple human beings who know within their heart that that baby in the womb is a person. 
but yet they think it's okay to kill it. Why is that? Because of the lack, I, I believe part of it is the lack of Christians being on the front lines with our biblical worldview confronting these issues. People mutilating their bodies. And so the importance of a Christian worldview is paramount to all of us. It should be paramount to all of us. We don't want to become humanists. We don't want to think that man is the center of all things. So now I segue into what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to look at the humanist side of um, body image and also the pietists look at it. I talked about the last time uh, we went over this uh, three weeks ago about the false standard. You know, we looked at some videos of the the Dove ad campaign, how people are made up and how people are just images and pixels on the screen or on an advertisement and how deceitful all that is. We looked at uh, commercials that are geared towards having you to look at yourself and not be satisfied with how God made you. You know, we did that body image survey and we probably found out a lot of things about ourselves, about how we feel about our bodies and how God made us. So we talked about the false standard. We talked about runway models and uh, Instagram and social media, everything that is put before us. We talked about how the ideal body type uh, used to be for women and men. You know, men is having the, the six pack, the, the bulging pecs, you know, the V-shaped body, you know, the V-shaped torso. And I guess the legs looking like they skipped leg day. I don't know. But it was all about the torso. You know, having those nice broad shoulders. And uh, not letting those gray hair show, guys. You know, just for men. Rogaine. All those, all those ad campaigns to, to, to say, men, you don't need to, to go gray. You need to shave all your body hair. You know, all, all, all those things to meet a false standard of beauty. But we talked about it. It affects women even more because women wear more makeup. I don't think many men wear makeup unless they uh, are going on a television set or they are uh, effeminate. Um, but women are the target of all these beauty uh, trends the most because women are bigger consumers of all these things. That's just the way, you know, God God made uh, women. They're, they're bigger consumers of those things. But what does the world tell women? We talked about that. The false standard. That your uh, posterior must be a certain size in order to be accepted. But then now you have, you know, we talked about one ditch being too small. And now you got the other ditch where they're celebrating what? Obesity. Celebrating being overweight. That that's powerful. That's empowering. You know, the whole body positivity movement. That's the false standard that the world has put uh, before us. And we are inundated every day with images. Most of us, we have our phones in front of us. We're inundated with images. If you spend any time on social media, you, you're inundated with images of uh, people. 
you have what is it called it's called doom scrolling uh, that's a thing and doom scrolling is where people go on Facebook or Instagram and they're just scrolling down looking at how good everybody else's life is it's called doom scrolling and they begin to feel you know depressed about themselves man my life doesn't look that good they're always happy they're always at the beach you know that their family looks so perfect and people doom scroll they scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and then all it is to Facebook anyway after five minutes I'm done I'm like okay I've done enough it's like because I don't post a lot but but some people they, they doom scroll they they just look 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 like this look look comment on that look 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 and, and it's doom scrolling because they're they're comparing themselves to what a false standard you have a wife who may not be satisfied with her marriage or her husband and they scroll on Facebook, see their best friends. They're taking all these nice family pictures out on date, you know, date night. You know, take the little selfie, you know, post it, you know, so forth and so on. I love my wife. Hashtag I love my, you know, and, 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 the, and the husband and wife, they're scrolling when their spouse is not looking. And they're like, man, my, you know, we don't do that. We go out on dates, you know. You start comparing yourself because you're comparing yourself to a false standard. Man, her eyelashes alone, how can I get mad like that? Well, you can go buy some and pay someone to put them on for you. But that's that's what it does. It's a false standard. Oh, my hair is not that long. Let me, you know, go get some extensions put in or get some weed put in or whatever the case may be. Why? Because we're comparing ourselves to a false standard. Man, let me go hit the gym and lose this, lose this big stomach of mine so I can get that six-pack. Because we're looking at a false standard. Humanism, man is the standard. Fallen man is the standard. Sinful man is the standard. Now, does this mean that we don't aspire or strive to get in shape? No. Does it mean we don't exercise and go to the gym? No. Does it mean that we shouldn't eat healthy? No, that's not what that means. The, the question always is, why? For whose glory? For whose standard? If you're doing it for the false standard, of the world you will never ever be satisfied you will never do enough you will never quote be enough if you do it according to the world standard because the world distorts what is true and the world sells you a false image I was thinking about this after we talked about this last time how tall do you think Sylvester Stallone is you know Rocky Hmm? He's only five foot eight. But in movies, he appears what? Bigger than life. Tom Cruise is only about five seven. But when you see them on television in these roles, like Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr. is only like five seven, five eight. I love Iron Man, by the way. I like Captain America. I like Chris Evans. Chris Evans is only about five eight, five nine. But Hollywood makes them appear what? Larger than life. I got a former student um, who worked in Hollywood for a long time. I taught him when I was living in Gasson. And, and I, uh, when he first moved out there, he, was a, he worked as a bailiff on one of those judge shows that they have on, on TV. Uh, they have so many of those shows out there. A lot of them are not syndicated nationally. But he was on one of those shows. And 
you know, he was all, all, all on the scene, you know, being a, uh, what is it, a cultural creative. That's kind of a job now, I guess. But he, he was telling me, you know, Brian, is a, he's about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, tall kid. But he was just telling me how tiny, like Reese Witherspoon is, is like 5'3". You know, she looks tall on uh, Legally Blonde, you know, in that movie. But he, he was just telling me he's been around a lot of these celebrities, you know, working security and stuff like that. But he was just telling me how small they look in person, like when you actually see them. Why? Because Hollywood has given us a what? An illusion that these people are what? Larger than life. And you see them say, man, I want to be like them. Now, somebody like The Rock, The Rock is a big guy because he played football. You know, he's very muscular. And, um, you know, you all know who The Rock is, right? You know, he's very muscular. He's, he's a big guy. But the thing about The Rock is this. He's just a man. Now, he's in great shape. I love him. I, you know, I like his personality, although he does use a lot of profanity, believe it or not. He, man, he's got a very foul mouth. Uh, but I just like him. He's a pretty gregarious guy. But he's just a mere man. He's fallen just like everyone else. He needs a savior just like everyone else who doesn't have Christ. He's without Christ. He's not a, a believer. He doesn't think much of Christianity. But when you put yourself against a false standard, you're only going to be helpless. You're going to be hopeless. You will never achieve that standard. You know, in Hollywood, and in, in, um, it's a lot of pressure. I can only imagine. You know, it's a soul-sucking place. Very few people who go out there make it without being changed by the culture. I, I look at a lot of documentaries of a lot of famous people who went out there to Hollywood or they got into the music industry, you know, any type of entertainment industry. I was looking at uh, Elvis. Um, I, I was listening to a, a documentary that someone wrote uh, no, Bill O'Reilly, uh, you know, you should be on Fox News. He, he talked about Muhammad Ali, um, John Lennon, and Elvis Presley. You know, three people who were killed by a celebrity. Elvis was a drug addict. He was, on, he, was, he was a drug addict. He died of a drug overdose in his bathroom in Graceland. He was a drug addict addict. Why? Because he was believing the false standard. Elvis, his, his weight loss and weight gain was chronicled you know, throughout his life. His weight was, because he's a nice looking man. But one of his issues was his weight. But why was his weight like that? Because he was on drugs. A lot of drugs. Why? Because he brought the false standard. Think about Michael Jackson. What false standard did Michael Jackson buy? That his nose was too big and his lips was too big and his skin was too dark and his hair was too nappy. What did he do? He got a perm. First he got a jerry curl on uh, Thriller and that's when he started working on his nose a little bit and, and lips. And then when I'm Bad came around, that second album, 
I was like in eighth, ninth grade, I think, when it came out. He, he was light, he lighter skin, his nose was thinner, his lips were thinner, and he had that perm in his hair. He did. And then, of course, as the years went on and on, it just got worse and worse and worse. So he almost didn't have a nose at all. Why? Because he believed the false standard that my big African nose is, is bad and my big lips are bad because he didn't have a biblical standard. He had a false standard. And we see this happen all the time. And what do people do? They begin to abuse drugs. Michael Jackson was a druggie. He died because his doctor couldn't wake him up with the drugs that he used to wake him up every other day. Dr. Conrad Murray. And we found out then he was taking downers to go to sleep because he couldn't sleep. And his doctor would give him uppers to wake him up in the morning or whenever he needed to get up. Why? Because the false standard of beauty and, 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 and fame it leads to all those other things. It leads to misery. It leads to depression. And you medicate. You don't believe in God. You don't worship the true God. So guess what? You're going to turn to the God of drugs. That's what happens when people worship the false standard of beauty. They become more depressed. The people who believe that they can, through uh genital mutilation through chemical castration that they can literally become the opposite sex suicide rates sky rate skyrocket after that happens after they get on the puberty blockers after they get the double mastectomies after they get castrated as young men suicide rates go up it's not because society is not accepting them they're accepted everywhere they're probably like 1% of the population, but you would make it seem like they were half the population. They're getting accepted everywhere. They have so many days and months dedicated. They have a whole month. You have the, quote, trans day of visibility. I mean, it's, they have about 28 different holidays, sacred holidays throughout the year. They are being accepted by culture. But they believe the false standard and what are they doing they're destroying their bodies they're destroying their lives because they have the false standard they look in the mirror and what do they see they don't see themselves as image bearers of God they don't see themselves as carefully crafted by God in the womb we have to ask ourselves the question, like we say, what do we see when we look in the mirror? Do we see a false standard? Do we compare ourselves to a false standard or the false standard? Because the world standard always changes, right? Always. It is always, it's, it's like shifting sand. I talked about this before with, uh, you go into the men's section uh, of a department store. You're going you're gonna to see skinny jeans, and then you're going to see slim fit. They put the regular fit jeans on the bottom shelf. 
you know, you got to go on a hunt for them for old, old people like me who don't like their clothes fitting real tight. Everything is skinny jeans. Everything is slim fit. Shirt, slim fit. It's just taking over. Ladies, I thank God that I can imagine having a daughter. You got those little short shorts in the little girl section of Target, Walmart. Got the little little short denim shorts. And you walk around and, and see what some people have on, like in public. And um, why? Because they're, they're, they're believing the false standard that showing your skin, the more skin you show, the more beautiful you are. That's the false standard. How do women become popular on Instagram? By taking their clothes off. You got all these, quote, Instagram models now. That's like an actual profession, I guess. You know, they get up to so many um, followers, and then they get the blue check, you know, that, I guess, legitimizes them. And, and then they start just, hey, every picture you see is a bikini. Like, man, do you ever put clothes on? <laughs> you know, but that's the false standard that the, the more flesh you show, the more beautiful you are. That's what the world says. That is a false standard. That woman's body should be for her husband. No person outside of her spouse should know how she looks in her underwear, which is all lingerie is. No one should see that. But no, the world says no. Show it. If you got it, flaunt it. That's what the world says. You just mad because you can't. Uh, yeah. No, I'm not. I don't need to know that. My wife tell you, I don't like going to the beach. I go, but I'm out in the water. I'm not sitting, I'm not sitting, you know, in my beach chair looking around because I just can't. I can't take it. I really can't. It disgusts me. To see girls walk around with what they have on, it, it, it does, it revolts uh, me. So I had to go out in the water and play like far out in the water. I can't see all that because I just don't like it because I don't, I, I believe in being decent. But they're believing the false standard. That the more skin you show, the more beautiful you are. But we're going to look at what the biblical uh, standard says here in a second. And I said that. Having a false standard leads to pride. One of the things it leads to. And what we do with pride is we can think that we look at our bodies and say, man, I don't like the way this is. I want to change my body. That's pride. Because we're telling God, our maker, I don't like the way you made me. That's pride. And in the other ditch, you can look at your body and say, I am the standard. Everybody needs to be like me. You see both ditches of pride. One, one ditch says, man, I don't like the way my body's shaped. You're saying to your maker that he made a mistake. And in the other ditch, you can say, yeah, I got it going on. Everybody needs, needs to get like me and be like me. I have the prototype. 
That's pride. So it's pride in either uh, ditch. And another thing that it can uh, lead to is we become depressed. We begin to feel inadequate. We begin to feel like we can never measure up to the world's standard. Now when we look in the mirror, we see the wrinkles between our eyes or in our forehead. We see the gray hairs that are growing in. We see the acne stars. We see the, the veins popping up. The cellulite. Freckles. Pale skin. Blonde or short eyelashes. The list can go on. Thinning hair. We see all those things. And we begin to say, uh-oh, something's wrong. But why is it wrong to us? Because we're measuring ourselves by the wrong standard. That's what we do. Instead of thinking that, man, I'm made in God's image, we say, no, nah, you don't measure up to everybody else. You're not the best looking person in the room. You need to go get some work done. You need to get a nip here and a tuck there. That's why cosmetic, it used to be plastic surgery was big, but now it's cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgery has blown plastic surgery out of the water. This place over here next to us, Metatrim, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and some Saturdays, this parking lot is packed. When that, those doctors come down from Birmingham, they have Botox parties. And those ladies are mostly ladies coming in and out. You know, 20 of them in the waiting room. They, they getting ready to get those fillers put in and, and all those things. I can't imagine how much that stuff costs. But they're doing that. Why? To perpetuate a false standard. Fillers, you know, you end up looking like the cat lady after a while. Yeah, you know, you got to get rid of wrinkles, though, right? What they call the old dreaded crow's foot. They, they even got names for them. The smile lines at the end of your, you know, you got to get rid of those. I learned from one of our church members that you had some girls as young as 20 getting Botox or asking about Botox. 20. I guess it's preventative, preventive maintenance. Is that what it is? 20. Why? Because they are believing the false standard that wrinkles are bad. Oh, you can't look old. But it's something great in that. It's something wise in that. I like to see old saints, old Christians that have, man, walked with the Lord 70, 80 years old. It's so much wisdom to get from them. The lady across the street from us in our neighborhood, Miss Patterson, she's got to be like 85 years old. She lives, she's been living by herself as long as we've been, been there. She's been a widow for a long time. She still gets out and walks around the block every day. She used to work at Lee Brass. She retired. And she looks great for age, but she's like 85 years old. But she still gets out and, and walks like a mile around the block every day. 
she didn't want to leave the neighborhood because she likes her neighbors. Her, her daughters wanted her to move uh, because, you know, she had fell and broke her hip a few years ago. Um, but she recovered and she's doing well. But her daughters wanted her to leave. She said, she don't want to leave because I love my neighbors too much. My neighbors look out for me and everything. But she's aging gracefully. I had a chance to talk to her about the history of Golden Springs and all that stuff, uh, you know, maybe five, six years after we moved into the house. Just talk to her, just get wisdom, you know, learning and stuff like that. It is nothing wrong with aging, but the world says it is. Not just in growing old, but looking old. That's the false standard, amen? So what is the true standard? Let's look at James 1. Turn to James, the first chapter, verses 22 through 25. We're going to look at uh, the true standard. How are we to really know what standard we should be following? On the surface, we do know that it must be God's standard. But just what exactly is God's standard? What does the Bible tell us? So we're going to turn to James, which is after the book of Hebrews. And look at the uh, James 1 verses 22 through 25. And this is what James says. This is a very popular uh, verse right here, verse 22. Uh, Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We can't just come to Bible study, listen, then go home and forget it. God wants us to intentionally put into practice what we learn. But he says anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful, a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. When it says in verse 25. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty. And continues in it. That means intent. In doing it. So by looking intently into the mirror. And measuring ourselves. By God's word. So James tells us that we must gaze. Into scripture as if it is our mirror. He says, it's like beholding our natural face in the mirror. And that's what gazing at the scripture does. Scripture is our mirror, not man. We ought to use the words and the spirit of the words of scripture to guide how we live and how we view ourselves. It must be guided by scripture. Let scripture be our mirror. The true standard is God's word. God's word does something that no other book does. Being an English teacher and an English major, I've read a lot of books. I got a lot of books in my library, a lot of non-Christian books for my, my time uh, teaching and in college. I read all types of books, biographies, autobiographies, just all kinds of books about all kinds of things. None of those books can do what the Bible does. With the Bible, not only do we read the Bible, but the Bible reads us. Yeah. 
The Bible shows us who we are. It is a mirror for us. It is a standard. A standard is something that is true. <coughs> something that is right. Something that guides. That's what a standard is. It's God's idea of who we are and what we should look like. God's true standard shatters the false standard. It gives us a right perception of ourselves. But we must be looking into God's word to see how we should, right? Look at ourselves. We should look to God's word to have a right view of ourselves. So number one, scripture is God's standard. Number two, God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. You think about King David. 1 Samuel 16 and 7. You know, when David's oldest brother was shown to Samuel, Samuel was immediately impressed with his height and looks. But God said something to Samuel. Look at 1 Samuel 16 and 7 here. This is um, what God was looking at. The prophet Samuel was impressed by how David looked as a shepherd boy. He was a nice, handsome young man. So look at 1 Samuel, verse six, chapter 16, rather. Again, we're talking about what the true standard is. This is when David was anointed king, so... But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as who sees. Man sees. Don't forget that. For man looks at what? The outward appearance. But God looks upon the heart. The Lord looks at our hearts first and foremost. Man can't see our hearts. Man can see the actions that come from our hearts, but man can't judge our hearts. God looks at our hearts first and foremost. Because the text went on to say that David was a handsome man. So we can't assume that he was ugly. He wasn't as tall as Saul was. It didn't mean that being beautiful was bad, but it was only that God looks at our hearts before anything else. Okay? It's by our hearts that God knows who we really are. Because we can fool others by our looks, right? You know the old axiom, looks are what? Deceiving. Don't judge a book by its cover, all those axioms. It's true. We can't fool God because God knows our hearts. We can fool people. So again, the false standard. You hear all the time about your favorite celebrity couples getting a divorce. And people say, oh, they look so happy together. They have beautiful children. They look so happy together. The next thing you know, they're getting divorced. And you, and, and you act like it was you. <laughs> people are all so upset. That so-and-so, uh, Kanye and 
uh, Kim Kardashian, you know, are, are divorcing. Like, really? This is Kim Kardashian you're talking about. Uh, Kanye West you're talking about. I mean, come on. But people, are, they act shocked. Why? Because of outward appearances. You see the paparazzi pictures of them on vacation together, always at a beach or on a yacht. You notice that most of their pictures are always like at a beach somewhere or on a yacht. You know, they go places that us peasants uh, can only see on uh, Google Maps, you know. Uh, you know, Sandro Pay or, or Morocco or, you know, down there in South Beach where it's insanely expensive to stay in the hotel. And they go to the part where, you know, us peasants can't go to. But we look at that and say, man, they look so happy together. We're so deceived by that. Not knowing that these people, most, most of them are so evil and so wicked. A lot of adultery takes place in that type of lifestyle, in that type of industry. A lot of drug use, a lot of absentee parenthood takes place. But when we believe the false standards that are the true standard, we, we begin to look at the appearance. And to an extent, it's not that looks don't matter, but that is not what truly makes up a person. It's about their heart. What kind of person are they truly? You can be a dying piece and have a wicked heart and be an ev evil, manipulative, conniving person. I was... Um, I was talking to Chandler yesterday evening. We was talking about uh, Ted Bundy, the famous serial killer um, who killed those girls in that sorority house in the in, uh, University of Florida. He was a very handsome man. Very handsome. Strikingly handsome man. But his mind was very dark and demented and evil and twisted. This man was a serial killer. But he was handsome. That's how he was able to uh, course, uh, you know, women to get into his car and all this stuff because he was a very handsome man. Because the outward appearance, but his heart was dark. God looks on the heart, not outward appearance. The next thing about the true standard is the transformation of our minds. And this is kind of uh, landing the plane a little bit. Romans 12 and 2. Uh, Romans, let's look at Romans 12 right quick. We'll look at 1 and 2. Romans, the 12th chapter. So the true standard, of course, is, is uh, Scripture's God's standard. God looks at the heart and then the transformation of our minds. When we look at this verse, we will see that we're not supposed to be trying to transform our bodies into this false standard but it's our minds that God is interested in transforming 12 and 1 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice as the prosperity preachers say watch this a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to who God to God not to the culture not to society, not to Instagram, not to TikTok. Present our bodies holy 
and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, a reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, this world system, this, this age, the, the ideologies of this world, the philosophies of this world, the, the worldviews of this world outside of a biblical worldview. That's what it means by the world, the, the systems, the beliefs of the world. So don't be conformed to this world system. But be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants the way we view other people and ourselves to be transformed. Our minds as they grow in knowing God's true standard better will be transformed. They will be transformed. And we'll be better to rightly uh, test and judge the thoughts and words we hear from others say beauty is. I heard this a few weeks ago uh, on a podcast I was listening to, and it blew my mind because I did not think about this. I'm like, why not think of this first? I heard a, 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 a pastor say, no, it was Vody Balcom who said it. He always says stuff that blows my mind. He said, beauty is not in the eyes of the beholder. Now, that's a popular saying, right? Beauty is not in the eyes of the beholder. He said, beauty is in the eyes of God. I said, I'm going to let that sit for a little bit. Think about it. That's what, the, that's what the axiom is, right? Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. That means that you determine what's beautiful and what's not. He said, beauty is in the eyes of God because it is God who made us beautiful. It is God who made us. David said, I'm what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. I said, man, I never thought of it like that. Because when you say beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, you're making man the standard. We're the arbiters of what's beautiful and what's not. We can say something is beautiful or something is a, a person is beautiful or someone is not beautiful if it's in the eyes of us, you know, us beholding it. But beauty is in the eyes of God. And that having that mindset, having that mindset comes from a transformed mind. But it does take time because we can struggle with having a transformed mind when it comes to how we look at ourselves, our body image, and how we look at other people. We can catch ourselves walking past a mirror and, you know, like I always do, suck my stomach in. Like I'm doing now while I'm talking. But we can always catch ourselves, right? Looking in the mirror and like, ah, it's a wrinkle. We can catch ourselves doing that. We may not say that out loud, but we'll think like, oh, man, that's a wrinkle. I'm about to start looking old. Do you know some people are terrified of getting older? <coughs> like turning 50? They're like, man, I can't. No, I can't be turning 50. All right, let me finish up here. We reflect God's image.
in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean to image God? It means to mirror God. We were created to do what? Glorify God to enjoy forever. We reflect God's image. We are made in the image of God. We have to see that about ourselves. We are made in the image of God. Who shows us true beauty? Christ. And I'll tell you how. Isaiah 53, the prophet said that, he said this of Christ. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Think about our Savior. Christ did not have any beauty to attract us to him. As the prophet said. And yet each of us who follow Christ, we have been drawn to him. We were attracted to him. Because of who he was, not because of how he looked. I'm going to land this plane right here. You have a lot of people who fiddle over how Christ looked. Oh, he was Middle Eastern or he had dark skin. Who cares? What matters is what he did for us. What matters is that he died in our place for our sins. That's what matters, not his skin color, not whether he had nappy hair or not. What attracted us to him was him, his work. God drew us to Christ. It wasn't because of how he looked. We saw the beauty of God in Christ. We beheld him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And as Christians, guess what? We have that same beauty within us. We're one with Christ. We're co-heirs with Christ. So, biblically, with the biblical lens, we all should see ourselves as beautiful. Because of our Savior. Amen. Let us pray as we close out. Father we. Thank you that your word. Your truth. The only truth. Provides us. A standard. On how we. Are to look. How we ought to feel about ourselves. When we look at ourselves. How we ought to use our bodies in service to you and to glorify you. Father, if anyone in here, anyone listening is struggling with their body image. Is struggling with how they see themselves. I pray, Lord, that you may use this Bible study tonight to prick their hearts. If they're sinners, they're in their sins. 
to convict them of their sins, to convince them of their need for a Savior, and that they may believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and have a transformed mind. And Lord, I pray that for believers in here who are struggling with body image, that we reject the false standard that the world tries to push us into and look to the true standard of your word and look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and esteem how he wants us to look at ourselves as made in the image of God. In Christ's name, amen.